Welcome to Grace Church Resources. This is the home of the teaching ministry of Grace Community Evangelical Free Church in Spofford, New Hampshire. Here you will find weekly sermons, special teaching series, testimonies, and much more. If you haven't already subscribed, we encourage you to do so so you will be notified when we post new material. We trust these resources will be a supplement to your regular involvement in a local church wherever you may be, and that by His grace and for His glory, you are looking more like Jesus every day. morning, everyone. If you remain in that uh, passage, we will be looking at that. And as a church, we believe deeply that the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, is something that needs to be passed on to each generation. And it's been a joy to hear of the youth ministry and watching them grow in their faith. And uh, we're just uh, so pleased to, to see that and participate with them. I have great hope for the next generation. I believe they will stand before the world as a testimony because of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. That's our only hope. But they need our prayers, and uh, we want to pass on the baton in a healthy way. And although the church will be somewhat different in the years ahead, there are some things that should never change and will never change. And two of those practices, no matter what generation, are the participation in baptism and the Lord's table. Now, back in April of this year, we had a baptismal service, and uh, it had been a while since we had an elongated message about baptism, and so we did that there. And it's been a while since we've really had more than introductory statements about the Lord's table. And so today, we want to do that and just focus a little more intently upon what how the Lord's table got established and how we're supposed to participate. And uh, so uh, we've just read this great scripture about when the Lord's table started. And we understand that Christianity and Judaism are virtually inseparable. Judaism by itself kind of leaves you hanging if you don't have Christianity. Christ is the key to understanding it. He stated in Matthew chapter 18 that he came not to destroy the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And so we know that many of the prophecies of the Old Testament focused upon the last week of Christ's life. And I believe God sovereignly arranged all of Jesus' life to perfectly align with the Jewish feasts. And so we should all know the significance regarding the celebration of Passover. In a thumbnail sketch, it is this. Hundreds of years before this event, God delivered Moses and his people from the hands of Pharaoh. And if you remember the story of the Exodus, Moses requested of the Pharaoh to let his people go. They were in bondage, and he wouldn't do it. And so God sent nine plagues to Egypt to, to get them to loosen their grip, and it still didn't work. And then finally, a tenth plague was determined. It was warned that an angel would come and destroy all the firstborn of Egypt, whether they be animals or human. And the only way that a person could be exempt from this coming judgment of an angel coming and taking the firstborn was if, if the family selected a lamb that was pure and spotless and then sacrifice it and take that blood and paint it upon the post and the lintels of their homes. And then if there was blood on their house, the death angel 
would pass over. Or in the Hebrew, Pesach, which means to skip. He skipped the house. The lamb was to be set aside for four days to be examined by the family, assuring that it had no defects. Every test imaginable was made. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was tested all during that week, his last week. Now, we don't have time to go into all the details today, but we find that Judas was in the background betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Other disciples were finding a place to celebrate the Passover in the upper room. But one of the things we need to understand is that this last Passover service, which became our Lord's table, was burst in the shadow of betrayal. Verse 21, when it was evening, they reclined at the ta- he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, one of you will betray me. What a shocking statement this must have been to them. Leonardo da Vinci's painting of this scene is famous for capturing some of the facial expressions of the disciples. In fact, he paints Judas as recoiling and grabbing on to his money bag. And he even knocked over a salt shaker. Chuck Swindoll rightly says one of the men chosen to be the salt of the earth is about ready to rub salt into the Savior's wounds. All the disciples reacted, to their credit, with immediate self-consciousness. They, they verbally said, Lord, is it I? Am, am I the one who's going to betray you? And by the way, there was no one pointing their fingers at Judas. They didn't have a hunch. A clear point that must be made at this first communion service is that Jesus wanted there to be self-introspection. He wanted the disciples to question their hearts. Self-examination is a key attitude when participating in the Lord's table. It's a time when we ask ourselves, am I really walking with Jesus? Is there anything between God and me? In the Gospel of John, we learn more detail. We find that, that, that John was on the right side of Jesus, and he leaned into Jesus, and he whispered, and he asked, Who is it? Who's going to destroy? Who's going to betray you? And then in verses 23 and 25 of Matthew 26, Jesus whispers to John. This, all the other disciples didn't hear this. He whispered to John, He who has dipped his hand in the dish will betray me. Now, it is likely that Judas was on the left side of Jesus. He was the treasurer. And so he leans in. And like everybody else, he says, is it I, Lord? And the Lord tells him, it is you. What you do, do quickly. And he was dismissed from the Lord's table. You see, it is important that everyone present at that first Lord's table was a believer and had a confessed up heart. And then it was at that point in verses 26 through 30 that Jesus said, took the bread and he, he, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and says, take, eat, this is my body. Drink, this is my blood. Now to understand the prophetic nature of this whole event, we have to understand the Jewish Seder which had been practiced for generations before the time of Christ. And the word Seder means 
order, the order of the Passover. And it had several components. I just have to quickly say them. The Kiddush was a prayer. Father would light a candle and drink the first cup of wine, and he would say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu melech alom bore peri hagapen. Next, there was the karpas, and the celebrators took some parsley, and they, they dipped it in a bowl of salt water, and they ate it. This was probably when Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. Next was the, the breaking of the first bread. There were three pieces of matzah in the, in the supper that was in the cloth. We believe it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Interestingly enough, the Father would at this time take the middle one out, and he would break it, and he would hide it somewhere in the room for later. That was called the ephikamen. The ephikamen. It means dessert or that which comes after or prize. It, later on, the children were allowed to, to find it, sort of like an Easter egg. You wonder why we have an Easter egg hunt. Now, after this, the father would spend two hours. Uh, and we're late today, and I just want you to note it's the young people's fault. <laughs> For two hours he spoke and he asked, why is this night different from everybody else? Why on this night do we eat a better, bitter herb? herb? On this night, why do we dip our food in salt water? On this night, why do we lean on pillows instead of regular chairs? And so the father would go through the whole Exodus story of how God delivered Israel through the Red Sea and that the, the salt water represents the tears of their captivity. The eating of the parsley was like a, sor a sort of uh, uh, hyssop that was used to paint the blood he emphasized the unleavened bread and how God didn't want them to take anything that was contaminated by Egypt. There was a bowl of paste or karoseth, which was made of apples and nuts, and it was shaped to look like a brick so they would remember their bondage. The egg represented divine involvement in the beginning of a new life, and the leg of the lamb was, represented the sacrifice of the lamb, and of course the wine represented the blood. In essence, the father went through the whole history of Israel. And they sang psalms in between. Psalm one, psalms 113 to 118 was their prescribed singing. And then following some singing, another piece of bread is broken and the rest of the meal is then eaten. And then a third cup of wine is, was consumed. And this was the cup of Elijah because they had the hope that Elijah was going to join them when just before the Messiah would come. But it is now at this point that the hidden bread or the ephikamen was sought. The children went and they got the ephikamen. And it's at this point in the supper that Jesus transforms the meaning of the supper. He took that, that piece of bread and he said, this is me. This represents me. You see, the Jews never knew really what the Ephikamen was all about. It just seemed to be a game for the children. But it was on this night that Jesus identified himself as that bread. He then took the last, the fourth cup and told them to drink it and said, this is the blood of my covenant. 
And he refers to the new covenant that was made initially with Israel in Jeremiah 31, 33, but that we learned through the Apostle Paul, we're a part of this new covenant because it's founded upon Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of sins. And so Christ is referring to his own death and the establishment of the new covenant. And so Jesus took the last two acts of the Passover meal and forever changed them into our communion service. One of the verses that they probably read was Psalm 118, verse 24. It was part of their singing. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. You understand why this day is referenced here? This is the greatest day of history because on this day the Lamb of God was slain for you and for me so that each of us could be made right with him. It does not matter how old you are as you sit here. There's only one way to be forgiven of sin, and that must never change. It cannot change. You will not be a church if you don't understand this. Have you received the forgiveness? Have you painted the blood over the post and lintels of your heart? You can do it right now. Tell God that you realize your sin and how Christ could alone take it away, and you believe he did through his sacrifice. But how sad it is when Christians simply go through the motions, and they don't know why they're doing things. They don't know why they're singing. So what can we do to make sure this meal does not become mere ritual? Well, that's where 1 Corinthians 11 comes in. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five verse 25 says, Do this in remembrance of me. In honor of Christ's death, the early church met and took part in this supper. There was no command as to how often you do it, and so we choose to do it once a month. But no matter how often we celebrate it, we don't want it to be an empty ritual. Sometimes we sing, sometimes we have moments of silence and reflection. I can't enter into your mind and tell you how to think. It's up to you to prepare your mind. And so Paul specifically drew attention to the bread, and he broke it, and he repeated the words of Christ. This is my body, which is for you. And so as we take the bread, we must remember that the Son of God took on human flesh, a body to take on our sins. We must remember that he died for us personally. In the 1 Corinthians text, it talks about divisions in verse 19. And people, there will always be disagreements amongst people, no matter what kind of group you are, even in the church. The difference is how you deal with those differences. The Lord's table is the place where we ask ourselves, am I the cause of the problem? Self-examination is a key attitude of participating in the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is one spiritual activity that we do not practice by ourselves. Baptism is you alone standing up for Christ. Communion is that you are stating in front of everybody and with everybody that we have all come under the blood of Christ the same way. We're nothing more special than the next we are all one. And that's the reason why we partake of this supper together and why you cannot really worship 
the Lord's table by yourself. Not all problems and disagreements can be handled. Romans 12 tells us as much as it's possible, if it depends on you, deal with it. And so maybe you need to forego participation of eating right now. Maybe you need to make it a point to go meet with someone that you know you're at odds with. Maybe you had an argument with your spouse on the way in or last night or you scolded your children too harshly today and they were crushed. Please don't miss, don't underestimate the effect on your children when they see you say you're sorry. I mean, that's what the Lord's table is all about. He left us a moving picture, a movie, if you will, something that we act out. We eat the bread, we drink the cup to remind us of the unselfish love of Christ. And so I would recommend when you know that we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table, which we do each month, that the night before you prepare your heart and examine yourself and make sure that that you are in tune with the Lord And I will note that it says self-examination, not the person next to you. It's none of your business what the other person is doing next to you. It's what's going on in your heart. And in case you were not able to examine yourself before this moment, I want to give us a chance to do that this morning. And I'm going to ask you to turn to hymn number 274. I'll ask the men to come forward as we get ready to bless the bread. And so what I would like you to do is take a moment as the bread, as the elements are being passed and have the bread ready for we can take it together, but make things right with the Lord if you're not right. If you don't know him, cry out to him that he would save your soul and you can partake of this meal. Or maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. Take the time to do that. And so As elements are passed at an appropriate time, I'll start singing, and you can join me when you're done praying. You don't have to join me right away, but we'll be singing 274. And so I'll, this is my body. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain 
I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingle down. Did such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lord, we are so grateful for your selfless love that sent your most precious Son to take our place upon the cross. We know we sometimes take you for granted, and we don't want to do this. We long for when every thought will be under your care. For now, Lord, we express our deep love and thankfulness for your forgiveness as we eat this bread together. Amen. Let us eat. Let me say this by way of comfort to you, that no matter what your age, John Duncan was a prominent Scottish theologian, and once as a communion was being held in a church in Scotland, the elements came to a 16-year-old girl, and she suddenly turned her head aside and motioned to the elder to take the cup away that she couldn't drink. And Professor Duncan reached his arm over and he touched her on the shoulder and he said tenderly, Take it, lassie. It's for sinners. Don't wait too long. If you can't deal with the issue in front of you, don't let it drag on. Confess it before the Lord. This this meal is for sinners. 1 Corinthians 11, 26 adds... 
Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So there is a victorious nature to this, to this supper. Lord, we realize that the cup represents your son's supreme sacrifice. He gave his life, gave up his dreams for us. Deep in our hearts, we desire that the whole world would understand your sacrificial love. We drink this cup as a way to proclaim before anyone here who does not know you yet that you died for their sins. We can partake of this meal in a joyful way because we know you did not stay dead. You conquered death and you are coming again to receive us unto yourself. And we drink with that full understanding until you come to Jerusalem again. Amen. Let us drink. We trust this resource was a blessing to you. You might also be interested in our other podcast, Grounding Our Faith, which is an interview-style conversation with staff, church leaders, and members about issues of theology and everyday faith. Grace Church Resources and Grounding Our Faith are both ministries of Grace Community Evangelical Free Church in Spofford, New Hampshire.